0: Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. Our desire is to unleash a family of healthy disciple makers in Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you. And have a God filled day. we continue our series, you have a gift, because gift is still consistent with Christmas. And I'm like, oh, I thought we... It still is consistent with Christmas, all right? This is the fourth installment of this this sermon series, and I have enjoyed it. I have loved the response of our body as they have begun to think about how their spiritual gifts are utilized in both their daily lives, but also within the context of the church. I know when you heard this reading, there was a a passage in there that is very controversial. One of the reasons why it's so controversial in our day and age is because of the sensitivity to gender issues. My hope is that as I proclaim this truth, that we would keep it in context so that when we get to that passage, your heart is not burdened because all of a sudden you think God is prohibiting you from something. Is that clear? The issue sometimes is you're like, man, I wish a woman was preaching this, because if a woman is saying this, people are like, oh, she said it. If a man says, they're like, uh-huh, you own it. Listen, at the end of the day, my heart for you is that we might be built up. And remember, before Kobe had all those babies, I am the original girl dad. Yeah, I got five. I got four girls, five kids, four girls. And one of them just about to leave. Okay, let me preach this message. Eternal Father, have your way in this place. I pray that you would allow us to navigate through these scriptures. I pray that you, will not, um, that you will allow your spirit to open up our eyes, to open up our minds, to open up our hearts, to receive your truth. We love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Let all the saints say, amen. Let's start with some rhetorical questions. These are rhetoricals. I don't know the answer to these questions if you do not move or say anything. All right. So who in here can't go to sleep if you have a sink filled with dishes? See, it is rhetorical. (laughs) Like if if there's dirty dishes in your sink, you like, uh-uh, I cannot go to sleep because these dishes need to be cleaned, all right? Here's the second one. Who in here can eat a plate of food if different food items are touching one another? All right, all right. I'm, I'm in some people's pocket, they're like, yeah. It's all going down the same way. Okay, I'm not getting into that. Who in here can't work if your desk is overflowing with documents or books. <laughs> Y'all are, I said this was rhetorical. Y'all are these questions. All right, here's the last one. This might get everybody. Who in here is hesitant to invite guests to your home because it is messy? <laughs> what is causing all this anxiety? Like, what causes us to be paralyzed when things are not the way we want them? I'm gonna give you one word disorder. Disorder. People can't sleep, eat, work, or welcome people to their home because their environment is chaotic. It's called disorder, that you do not want people to invade these particular spaces because in your mind, in your heart, there's too much disorder. You know what makes this, these questions even worse? Most of you all are either friends, roommates, or married to someone who is disorderly. I didn't, come on, man. <laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> I said, I would not know what's going on in your home if you don't say anything. Why is that? Like, we're married or, or, or friends or, or, or roommates with people that are just disorganized. And the people who are in relationship with you, they hate the anxiety and the demand of things always having to be orderly. But they do enjoy the benefit. You do enjoy. I'm, I'm going to confess, I enjoy the benefit of my wife putting things back when I leave them out. Right? For years, we had issues in our marriage because she didn't like that I left clothes on the floor. I told her one day they're not bothering you, so why are you worried about it? She said then why do you have these clothes on the floor? Because they're easier for me to put back on. That's what I said. It, I know it wasn't. Sooner or later I begin to realize if I would just adopt her way of organizing I can see everything, I can understand everything, and I can enjoy the benefits of a clean house. What is true in our personal spaces in our personal homes is also true in the household of God. We need the benefit of order. We need the benefit of order, especially when it comes to spiritual gifts. If our spiritual gifts are going to be effective, if our spiritual gifts are going to warrant the power that God has given them, we need order. So today I want to ask and answer the question, how can the gift of order benefit the church? How can the gift of order benefit the church Here's what I wanna start with. If we're going to experience this, this, this gift of our spiritual gifts with order, Paul declares from his text that we are called to do everything to build up the church. Do everything to build up the church. The gift of order starts with an attitude of others. That if we're going to experience the benefits of an orderly worship gathering, an orderly public gathering, then we're going to have to think more about others than ourselves. That when we think about our spiritual gifts, they have to be a benefit to others and not just our own status or influence. Look at verse 26. Paul says, What then, brothers and sisters? Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Notice the phrase, each one has. The reason why I think this sticks out for me and probably to the church of Corinth is because every time these believers entered into the public gathering space, they did not just come to receive, they actually came to give. That they were not just consumers, but they were participants in the household of God. Their mindsets were communal not individual. Like every time they walked into the gathering, they thought about how they might benefit it. See, if we're going to experience order, it starts with you looking for ways to benefit the body. See, one of the hard truths that we have to understand is that when you are a member, a family member of Disciple City Church, you are also a steward and an owner of this place. I love when people walk from the parking lot with trash in their hand. Because they see it not so much as, man, this is a cluttered place. They'll be like, no, this is my home and I want this place to look nice. They're other driven, right? They look at the sanctuary as a house, not as a building that if they were going to welcome somebody in, they wanted to look nice. This is the mindset of the Corinthian believers when they think about the benefit of order. Can you imagine a gathering where everybody gives? Can you imagine a gathering where you don't stand alone? Can you imagine being a part of something that... This person is doing their role. This person is doing their role. And all of us are benefiting. One of the things I tell my wife, I don't like washing dishes because it hurts my back because the sink is too low. (laughs) Look at people like, what? I did tell her that from the beginning. I told her that. Am I right? Isn't the sink too low, bro? Like, it's too low. I'm like, I can't wash dishes. But I will take out trash, I will sweep the floor, I will cut the grass, I will do it, but I don't want to wash dishes. I call that walking in your gift. (laughs) No, pastor, wash those dishes, right? The concept is othering. The concept is thinking about others and how your spiritual gifts can benefit one another. Why does God call us to have this communal posture because it builds up the body. The reason why he calls us to have this communal mindset is because you become a benefit to the entire body. Notice what Paul says. Everything is to be done for the building up. Everything, not some things, but everything is designed to build up the body. Remember what we last, learned last week? about the the concept of building up. It does four things. It strengthens, it encourages, it consoles, and it convicts. That when we are building up the body, that means we are strengthening our brothers. When we are building up the body, that means we are encouraging our brothers. When we are building up the body, we are consoling them and bringing them to a closer relationship with Jesus as their hearts are convicted, He says, the reason why we need to have this mindset, this communal mindset, is so that the body may benefit from your gifts. I'm excited about that. I get excited about talking about some of the gifts of the brothers and sisters here at Disciple City Church. All right? I get excited about it. I made a document as we get prepared for vision, our vision dinner tonight. So I'm excited about that. So I made a document and I did my best. And then I was like, oh, I send it to some people to, to look at it and they critiqued it real bad. Nah, pastor, this is terrible. Nope, this is terrible. This is ugly. Ain't nobody gonna be able to see that. I sent it to Genesis. Genesis didn't give me none of that. She just changed it. All right, pastor, you can do this. You can do this. I'm. Now and I'm like, hey, I, I'm going to look good because of what some, something that she did. I wasn't going to say nothing to Genesis, but I see you in the audience, so I got to say something. But I look good because of something that she did. See, when we strengthen one another, when we build one another up, all of a sudden it looks good. Maxwell once said, team works make the dream work. Right? What is true in the business world, I think, is also true in the church world. Teamwork make the Christian unity work. Amen. However, there's a problem here, right? If everyone came to the gathering wanting to use their spiritual gift, there would be disorder, right? If everyone came to the gathering and they start using their spiritual gift, then it will be chaos there will be a lack of understanding, there will be a lack of empathy, right? So Paul shows us how to implement the building up of the body. He shows us how to create an environment of order, which is the second answer to our question. If we're going to experience the benefit of our spiritual gifts in the context of order, we're going to have to create an environment of instructions, respect, and self-control. We're going to have to create an environment of instructions, respect, and self-control. This is the meat of this sermon. This is the heartbeat of this sermon. Once again, Paul uses tongues and prophecy as a case study But then he adds something that made all of us feel some type of way, and that is the relationship between a husband and a woman, or is it a wife? A husband or a woman, or is it a wife? To demonstrate what an orderly environment looks like. Y'all ready to jump into this? I see some of us like, oh, I'm ready. Let me do first, let me do verses 27-27. Through 31, because I believe it gives context to 35 and 30, 34 and 35. And this is what he said in 27 through 31. He says, "If anyone speaks in tongues, there are to be only two, or at the most three. Each in turn, let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent." Underline that because it's the first time silent is used. They are to keep silent in the church and speak to himself or to God. In verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the other should evaluate. But if someone has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent underline the second time has been used. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. The instructions that Paul is given both in the context of tongues and prophecy is that if you're going to speak in tongues in a public gathering, if you are going to prophesy in a public gathering, the first instruction he give is to limit the speaker to two or three people. To two or three people. He continues that if you are going to practice the gift of tongues, make sure there is someone there to interpret. And if you practice the gift of prophecy, make sure someone is there to evaluate. Notice the order. He said if you're going to practice your spiritual gifts in a public setting, limit the participants. If you're going to practice your spiritual gifts in a public setting, specifically prophecy and tongues, he said if it's tongues, make sure there's someone to interpret. The second one threw me off a little bit because oftentimes you don't hear people saying evaluate or the Greek word judge the prophetic word that's coming forth. And the reason why it's important to judge or to evaluate the prophetic word of going forth is so that you might differentiate between right and wrong. Or you might differentiate between it being exalting to God or exalting to the person. Then he moves from instruction to respect. Respect the spiritual gifts or voice of your biblical siblings. Well, Pastor, where does that come from? Notice what he says. He says, Whether you are speaking in tongues or prophecy, he says, Do it each in turn or do it one by one. In other words, he says, If we're going to do this in a public setting, make sure you are courteous to your brother. Or sister, make sure you are courteous to the one that God had put in a position to show off or to use their spiritual gifts. I'm a, I'm a bring I'm a I'm a land the plane. Right. Here's the last thing. Self-control. In verse 28 and 30, he says, but if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent. There's nothing special about the word silent here. It literally means to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. And in verse 31, but if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. He's talking about self-control. See, oftentimes we think spiritual gifts are this spontaneous, combustible thing that we cannot control. Paul says to the contrary, that spiritual gifts are subject first to the spirit of God, but also to the people of God by how you use them in a public setting. Well, how do you know? Look at verse 32. He said, and the prophet's spirit... Are subject to the prophets. This is dealing with control, y'all. This is dealing with self-awareness, self-control, that we are willing to respect those that God have given the gift give to, but also subjecting ourselves to how the Spirit of God is moving in the setting so that God might be glorified. And I'm gonna come back to that in a second. Does this make sense? Because oftentimes we don't hear spiritual gifts in this light. We just think spiritual gifts are just used any old way. And that's just not the case. There's order here. There's order here. Why is Paul being so concrete with order? And he tells you in verse 31. He says, so that everyone may learn and everyone might be encouraged. The reason why order is so important is so that people might learn and so that people might be encouraged. If everybody is speaking at the same time, it's hard to understand. If everybody is doing something at the same time, it's hard to know what direction that we are going in. Here's the point he's making. The gift of this order is that it promotes people using their spiritual gifts. The benefit of order is that it allows people to speak. It allows people to be heard. It allows us to protect against abuse of spiritual gifts through judgment and discernment, and it also allows us to seek clarity over confusion. That's the whole point of order, is that it opens up a window of freedom so that we might practice the gifts that God has called us to. It opens up a window of clarity so that we might not be stepping on toys and stepping over clothes and and trying to navigate and cook in a dirty kitchen because dishes are piled up here. No, when we have order, it is clear. One of the new members, not gonna say their name, but one of the new members went to our ministry closet if anybody has noticed in the ministry closet, what, what's the difference, Ms. Annie? It's organized. They had just, put they, they had just uh, become a member about two weeks ago. They walk into the closet and they like, Pastor, my gift is administration. Can I come back here? Now I knew people oftentimes you know, offered to do something like that. I didn't know what was coming next. They called me the next day, says, I'm about, a, I'm about 20 minutes away. I'm on my way. They came in with like a, a case that had wheels and was dragging them behind. Us. They said, you do whatever you need to do. I got this. From 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., they went through that whole entire ministry closet and the resource closet organizing, putting things, throwing stuff away, picking things up. She said, do you need anything else? I was like, I will have you on speed now. Yeah. Sears came in the next day like, who did this? Who did this? Why? Because we got a chance to benefit from order. We can see plates and cups and spoons now. We can see stuff that we bought that we probably need to send back or whatever because there's speakers. In it. It's just so beautiful. So when you read this passage, you know that the weight of the passage is about order. The weight of the passage is about respect. The weight of the passage is about self-control. Are y'all clear on that? when you have that idea in your mind now look at verses 34 through 35 right no matter what paul is about to say the context here is order no matter what paul is about to say the context here is instruction It's respect And it's self-control. He's not saying these things to make one party feel superior and to make another party feel inferior. He's not using these words to, to try to shame anyone. He's using these words to bring order in a context, in a church that was disorderly. The church of Corinth was disorderly. Now, yes, when you say the church of Corinth is disorderly and then it gives this prohibition to women, you'd be like, no, everybody was disorderly. That's why when some people say he said this because, everybody, uh, because the women were, uh, were disruptive, that's hard for me to interpret that because everybody was out of pocket. That's why Paul is writing what he's writing, to bring everybody back into order, all right? So here's what it said in verse 34. The women should be silent in the church. All of a sudden, all we see is self-control, right? (laughs) The women should be silent in the church. Here's what I was saying. The word silence should not trigger us. Why? Because Paul has already told two other parties to be silent. This is not exclusive to women. This is exclusive to anyone and everyone who is disorderly, right? So he says in the previous two verses, and that's why I wanted you to underline those previous two verses, because silence is just not for women, right? The request to be silent was about order. It was not a permanent gag order, right? Silent is not permanent. Silent is referring to order. He's not telling women that they can't speak at all, Something is going on in the context of this passage that calls Paul to say, Hey, the instructions that I'm giving you, the respect that I'm showing you, and the self control that I'm asking you to participate for the building up of the body is to be silent. Here's the second thing He says, For they are not permitted to speak, but to submit themselves as the law also have said. They're not permitted to speak. To what? Right? Are they not permitted to speak using the gift of prophecy? Is that what Paul is saying? Well, that would contradict what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovering dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. What I want you to focus on is he says, every woman who prays and prophesy, He's not telling them they can't pray and prophesy. He's telling them how to pray and prophesy. There's a difference here. He's not telling them that they can't exercise spiritual gifts. He's telling them how to exercise spiritual gifts. And it's funny because when I read this even more, it still doesn't answer the question. What is she not permitted to speak to? Here's what I believe. I believe he's saying that she's not able to speak to the evaluation, the judging of the prophecy in verse 29, some people have went even further to say that she's not able to speak to the evaluation or the prophecy of her own husband. All right, track me. I'm going to get there, of her own husband, which causes me to think, well, why would he say that? Like, why would he limit her in the evaluation of her husband? Well, let me give you one more. The reason why some say that is because in verse 35, it says, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home, since it is disgraceful. That means there was a cultural issue going on. Disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, that might be triggering. <laughs> I gotta wait to go home to talk to my husband? I'm smarter than my husband, you know? That, that might be triggering, but that's not what Paul is doing, all right? In fact, I even think that he is not just talking to women. I think that he is talking to wives. I think the, word, the Greek word here can be either translated women in general or it can be translated as wives specifically. You can take it both ways. I tend to take it specifically in regards to wives. Here's the reason why. Because if a woman who is not married cannot evaluate prophecy, then who does she go and talk to? Some might say she goes and talk to church leadership. I say that might be too far. Here's what I think Paul is doing in the context of building up the, the, the church, I think Paul is trying to harmonize the family. Paul is trying to harmonize the family. If the husband and wife union is going to be harmonious amongst the body, then they're going to have to have a way of communicating with oneself when they are in a public setting trying to evaluate spiritual gifts. That's what I think is going on here. He's not telling women that they can't speak or prophesy. That is outside of the context of scripture. What he's saying is a husband and wife in tandem need to have some communication with one another so that they might, so that they might uh, navigate how to be orderly. I'm going to try to give you my best illustration for this. There's a law in the land that if a husband and wife is married and a husband is on trial, legally you cannot force that wife to speak. Legally, you can. not And the reason being is because there's a conflict going on. The reason why I think it's important for husbands and wives to be in harmony, whether we're talking about gifts or the household, is so that they too might be on the same page in communication. Can you imagine Tamara and I arguing up here over how to run the church? Can you imagine uh, Tamara and I up here uh, debating about whether this is good or not? First of all, my wife's just not designed to do that. I have to, I have to ask my wife, cause I'm like, hey, you got a voice, say something. Even when we in the car, sometimes she's talking to me. I'm like, why didn't you say that there? Because we're on the same page. We're harmonious in how we are trying to utilize our spiritual gifts. The point that Paul is trying to make within the context of this passage is simply this. When we use our spiritual gifts, whether it as individuals or as a family, a marital covenant, he says use it in a way that brings harmony. Use it in a way that shows respect. Use it in a way that shows self-control. Here's the final words that Paul says. Paul's final call to this is simply do everything with order. Do everything with order. He concludes chapter 14 and verse 40 by saying, but everything is to be done decently and in order. The word decently speaks of proper use, your ability to do things from a position of right and wrong. The word order speaks of arrangement, that you take the proper use specifically of spiritual gifts and you subject them to the arrangement that has been given so that you might build up the body. Now, when I read this text, the word that keeps emanating from my mind is the word order. And every time I think about the word order, I cannot help but to think about God. Because God is a God of order. I can't help but to think about Genesis 1 and 1. That it was God who established the order. And the, the, the reign of both the heavens and the earth. Like, I, I can't get out of my mind that it was God who put the earth in order. It was God who put the heavens in order. It was God who separated the darkness from the light. It was God who ordered the sea and the land. It was God who gave birth to the animals. Every time I think about order, I think about a God who's in control. In fact, Hebrews chapter one, verse three says, Jesus is the one who's sustaining all things by the power of his word. In other words, it is Jesus who's keeping the earth on his axis. It, it, it is Jesus who is speaking from the distance that's keeping the waters from taking um, the earth. It is Jesus who's bringing order to this world. When we use our spiritual gifts, we have the awesome opportunity of showing off the character of God. Well, what specific character are you referring to? Well, Paul tells you in verse 33: He says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace that when we use our spiritual gifts according to the order of God, we bring shalom to this place. We bring peace to this place. We bring the building up and the warfare to this place. When we use our spiritual gifts, we show off the peace of God. And watch this, when the peace of God is among us, it brings clarity, When the peace of God is among us, it brings understanding. When the peace of God is among us, it brings edification, it brings salvation, and ultimately it causes us to say amen to the God who brought us together. You see why we need the benefit of order? You see why we need to be in alignment with one another? Paul is not telling us not to use our spiritual gifts, use them. The Spirit of God gave them to us for a purpose. In fact, the church is better off when you are walking in your spiritual gifts. When you are prophesying, when you are edifying yourself, when you are serving, when you are teaching, Paul is saying use these gifts to glorify the God who has brought order to this place. Here's one I want to lay in the plane on this passage. Order is freeing. It frees us to have order. Order should release you to say, this is the gift that God has given me, and this is how I'm going to use it order should bring you closer to God not away from God order should cause us to have empathy for one another and also celebration when we see our brothers and sisters using their gift for the building up of the church always in these sermons with a question how Will you use your gift in the spirit of order? What has held you back from not using your gifts? Would you use it in such a way so that the body may flourish? I said this probably six, six years ago, we did a sermon series over um, um, women's role in the church. Uh, It comes from the Hebrew word, uh, I'm drawing a blank series. What's the Hebrew word for woman? For helper? What is it? Ezer? Look at you. Ezer. Ezer means helper or warrior. So we did a whole sermon series over it. And then we bought in one of our professors to talk about the role of women in the church. And one of the things that we concluded was simply this. The church cannot flourish without the gifts of women. Cannot flourish. In the same way Adam could not cultivate the land in the garden. We cannot flourish if you are holding back your gifts. We cannot flourish if we are holding back your gifts. But let's do all things in order and in decency. Amen. Let us worship our King. Thank you again for listening to the Disciple City Church podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.